0: Might have to yank the other one, David. Pull the plug on that other one. And you might have to turn the monitors up. Uh, Jason, you might need to help. I'm not sure. We'll make it work. Uh, we are in First Timothy. First Timothy and chapter number four today. And if we got the, the turn these monitors up, we might be able to hear fine. I'm not sure how that'll work. We'll see. Last week, we preached against vegetarianism. I'm joking halfway on that. Uh, today, we're going to preach against exercise. And uh, so we'll just eat meat and sit on the couch. We'll be okay. Um, that's not exactly true. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple verses here today. And, uh, and I think we're going to see some helpful things, starting off with the, um, the continuing kind of the, what we were talking about last week with some of the apostasy that was in the church we 're going to start off looking at the apostasy that 's anticipated that will come, and then we 're going to transition some thoughts into um, how to be a godly person, and that 'll carry us through another week or two uh, before we continue through the book of first Timothy so, so we 're in First Timothy chapter four, starting in verse number six the Bible says If thou uh, put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the uh, words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but uh, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life uh, that now is. Uh, and of that which is to come. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Lord, we're thankful for letting us be here. We're thankful for the opportunity to look into your word and to learn from it. And so I pray that today you would help us uh, to learn from this. Uh, Lord, that we would draw closer to you because of this. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to present it clearly and correctly this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here, as we looked last week, if you were here or listened to last week's message, you'll see we talked about apostasy and it, coming into the church. We looked at the uh, seducing spirits and the doctrines of the devils in verse number one, uh, and then the things that they would promote, um, and, uh, and that was drawing people away from the truth of God. But being, uh, uh, presenting truth is the most important thing we can do in the church. Uh, If we are in the church proclaiming anything that isn't the truth of God, then we're just wasting everyone's time. And in many ways, we're pulling people away from God at the same time. And so we have to make sure that we are presenting truth and we are uh, teaching truth and and we are upholding truth within the church. And so we see starting in verse number six, though, uh, the apostasy that is anticipated. What is to come? What will come and, time. and it says there in verse number 6, and remember this is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Timothy, a preacher, Paul had trained Timothy, and he says to him in verse number 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So he says here to Timothy, and it was given to us by inspiration of God, so, so that we can learn from it too. If we are to remind people of these things that we talked about in verse number 1 through verse number 5, then we are a good minister. We are doing what we are supposed to be doing. We are uh, presenting the truth of God. The attacks from inside the church are far more dangerous than the attacks from outside the church. So if we think through what we allow within the church and how harmful it can be, the importance then of being truthful and presenting the truth of God's word. If we will remind the brethren, remind the church of the apostasies, keep them trained on these things, we can protect the church. Because the government could be against the church, and it can be hard for the church. You think of China, where you're not allowed to have church and, uh, unless you're promoting the, the, the government. And so they can come in, they can arrest you. They can beat you, they can throw you out of the country, they can do all these things. That's an attack on the church. It's dangerous, it's hurtful, um, and all of those sorts of things. But that kind of attack on the church has never killed the church. You can go back in time, Nero, when he tried to uh, burn all the Bibles, and, and, and the many rulers who had tried to get God out of their country, it doesn't work. You can't do it. The attacks from outside the church, they can hurt But they're never going to do the same kind of damage that an attack from within the church will do. If you allow apostasy in the church, if you allow false teaching in the church, if you allow tradition to run the church, you can kill the church from within. Churches shut down every single day in America. Every single day churches are shutting down. Uh, The last time I checked, and I didn't do the research for this, but the last time I checked, more churches were closing than were starting. And, uh, And so we're losing the numbers at the very least. And, uh, and, and the reason why some of those happen is because someone from within the church, whether it be the pastor, whether it be people within the church, whatever it may be, allow things into the church or bring things into the church that uh, deteriorate the church from within. And it ruins the church and it ultimately kills the church. Now the church, when we, talk, when we look in the Bible and you look at God and he says that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, God is always going to win. Uh, but we watch as local churches all across America shut down for different reasons, but for many of them it starts with apostasy of some kind. Uh, whether it's tradition, whether it's wrong doctrine, uh, whether it's false teaching, uh, and then the other ones would be just sin just corrupts the church and comes in, and, and whether it's pride, you know, whether it's immorality, whether it's whatever, uh, comes in and corrupts the church and it dies off. So the attacks within the church hurt the church far more than any attack from outside the church is going to hurt the church. So we must protect the church that way. Acts 20 verse 30 says, Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There's the warning that there are going to be people that come into the church and they're going to, to, to talk and speak things that are not true, that are wrong against the Bible, and are going to draw people out of the church and take them with them. That's the danger that comes from within the church. And the apostasy was coming, and, the coming, uh, was, and that, that coming apostasy was the focal point for this pastor, for Timothy, uh, to teach and to preach and to warn and to instruct to protect the church. It says there in verse number six, nourished up in the words of faith. Nourished up, it's the idea of, of, of growing, of, of uh, educating, of maturing, and growing up people as he teaches and he preaches. And he builds up then and nourishes up, gives health to the people within the church. False doctrine does not bring health. It, it brings sickness. And it, and it ruins the church. So the preaching of truth nourishes up the church. It's teaching sound doctrine. And that's far more needed. I am, um, I am all for the ministries of the church. I am all for Sunday school, kids' classes music ministries, nursery, and whatever else you can do. I I am for those ministries of the church, but nothing is more important to the life and sustainability of a church than the preaching of sound doctrine. You can have a service. We don't do this, and, and I don't plan on ever doing this, but we don't have a church service where all we do is preach. We come in, we sing. I think singing is good. I think it's edifying. The Lord talks about singing throughout scriptures. I think it is a good thing to do. We sing. Uh, I like mentioned last week, I know churches that have handshaking time. It's fine. It's fellowship. It's, it's good. Whatever. We have meals. We do all these other things because I believe it edifies. I believe it encourages. I believe it, it builds unity within the church. And I think all those things are good. But I'll tell you what, you could have only preaching and have a healthy church, I think. Now, I think the other things help the health of the church. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you take away the singing and you still have sound doctrine being preached... You can have a healthy church. If you take away the sound doctrine and you still have singing, guess what? You don't have a healthy church. Uh, When I was in college, one of my Bible classes, we had a, uh, I'm not sure that this was good or bad, but we had a, uh, uh, not a project, but we had to go to a church um, that would be different than what the college stood for. And so the, the push was to go to a mega church. Uh, Go into a mega church, see it, experience it, see what they're doing, and all those kinds of things. So, me and a friend uh, uh, that was in the class, and then my now wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, and, and a, another girl, uh, we went to this church down in Rockford, Illinois. And we walk in, and you walk into the foyer, uh, and when I say foyer, it's a massive foyer. And as soon as you walk into the right, there was a bookstore, and then you get past that, and there was a... Um, uh, uh, what would be the right word for it? Not a bar, but a uh, basically a coffee shop. It was just a long um, bar-type thing where you could go order coffee and eat specialty drinks, not just like you know black coffee that we have here, but like the, the fancy stuff. And uh, and you could order that. I think they had donuts that you could buy there too, and uh, and everything like that. Then we went into the service, and we were allowed to take our coffee into the auditorium. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness, the heresy! And so we we carried our coffee in, and we go in, and they got the seats and everything set up, and and uh, the lights over the seating was relatively low. The platform was well lit, and uh, and then this guy comes out, welcomes everybody there, and we start the song service. And so the band comes out, and they start to play and sing, and I didn't know any of the songs, some of the people I with did, but I didn't know any of them, and so I'm just standing there kind of mumbling words that are on the screen, I have no idea what's going on, and they're singing, and whatever, and they get done with that, I think they, I don't think they did an offering, I don't remember, it's been a, man, it's many years ago now, but, uh, and then the guy comes back out again, and, uh, and he introduces the pastor, who was on a screen in another location, uh, and he preached in wherever he was. I don't remember where he was. And uh, and and preached on the screen. We all sat there and watched watched him. And the way I remember it, and I could be wrong. I don't know if Katie remembers it or not. But the way that I remember it is, the whole service, song service, and introductory stuff lasted a good good bit. Uh, I would say seventy five percent of the time. And then the preaching lasted the last the last bit uh, there. They got done on the screen. The, they kind of shut that down. And the other guy comes back out. And uh, the, I think the band came back out, did one more song, uh, maybe invitation kind of thing, and then and then they dismissed, and we went home and uh, you know i didn 't get anything out of it i was I was intrigued by it. I thought this is really interesting i 've never seen anything like that before and uh, and it was interesting to say the least, but i I would define it as a focus on the preliminaries and not on the preaching. From what I remember of it, the teaching or preaching time was very short uh, compared to everything else that went on. And again, there wasn't even a a human being doing it on the platform, which always threw me off a little bit as well. I'm not saying that it has to be wrong, uh, but I don't think it's ideal, uh, needless to say. Anyways, that all happened. What did I learn from it? Not really anything at the end of the day. But I got to see something a little bit different. Now, I've been in a lot of churches in my life. i visited a lot of churches. Uh, um, My job in Tennessee, we would go and travel some, and so we'd be in some different churches and things like that. And... I got to see different ways that people did their services and whatever it may be, but I'll tell you, the strongest churches that I've ever seen had a heavy focus on and emphasis on preaching. They had had song services and they had other things that went on, but at the end of the day, what you left the the service talking about was, was the preaching. It wasn't that, man, that song service was so powerful and moving and emotional. Now, sometimes if there's a special music that was really good, people will remember that, of course. And I think that's good and helpful. Uh, But at the end of the day, to see a strong church, and by strong, here's what I mean. I don't mean large. Uh, Not every large church is strong. Um, But uh, what I mean by that is is you see health within the people. They are spiritually growing, spiritually building. They're united as a group. Uh, They love each other. They pray for each other. They give to each other. That's what a strong church does. Uh, It does the ministry of the church, the church that God built, the church that God ordained. And in order to have a strong church, it has to be built on, nourished up in faith and the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou house attained. That's what it's all about. And so you have to teach sound doctrine to avoid apostasy both presently and the apostasy that is to come. But we also have to refuse something when this apostasy comes. It says in verse number 7, refuse profane and old wives' fables. Now, I heard a preacher once say, uh, old women are not the only ones that have fables. Uh, but that's the way that it's presented to us. Oh, uh, You hear the, the term, we use it to this day, old wives' fables, old wives' tales, whatever it may be. And he says, refuse profane and old wives' tables. And so this idea here is refusing fiction, refusing things that aren't true. Uh, don't accept those things. John Phillips said, we have authoritative, ageless, and absolute truth in our hands. How foolish would it be for us to waste our time on such fables? We have God's word. I am a believer that the Bible in which I hold is God's word. Uh, I don't believe now. I believe that the Bible was written originally in the Hebrew and the Greek and some Aramaic. And it has been translated to us for, uh, for us in the English. I believe the words that I hold in my hand are God-inspired words that all Scripture is given by inspiration, and it's profitable. And so what I have in my hand is God's Word, which makes it more important than any other book in this world, makes it more important than any other preacher in this world, makes it more important than anything that this world can offer me, because in my hands I have words of God uh, from God to me. And if I have God's Word, why do I need to heed to fables? Why do I need to heed to guesses? Why do I need to heed uh, to uh, vain, profane fables? I don't need to, because what I have is truth, and truth is everything. It's what keeps us founded and keeps us stable and keeps us set. What makes them profane fables? It leads people away from godliness and from godly living. If what you're being taught does not draw you closer to God, are you being taught something that's helpful? If what you're being taught pulls you further away from God. Now, we can argue all day about standards. We can argue all day about um, things that we should do and shouldn't do and, and all these kinds of things. And we can waste a lot of time on that. But at the end of the day is what you're doing and what you're being taught bringing you closer to God or pulling you farther away from God. And what I've learned, and listen, I've got friends in ministry that do ministry completely different than I do them, and I would never do them the way they do them, And uh, but I still love them, I still, I still, we're still friends, but there are times where I watch them and the way that they teach is 75% good and 25% questionable, and that's where it gets tricky for the person who's sitting in the service, because you hear all this good stuff and right stuff but then there's always a few things thrown in there that's like, but you don't have to do this. You don't have to worry about this in your life. I know some other preachers tell you you need to be careful about the way that you dress. But you don't have to throw anything about that. Now listen, you, if those of you you've been here, you understand where I stand on this. Uh, but does God care about how we dress? Yeah. Can we disagree on what that means? I think to a degree we can. Uh, but at the end of the day, is the way that I dress, uh, does does it show godliness, or does it show worldliness? Do the things that I listen to, does it promote godliness, or does it promote worldliness? Do the things that I watch promote godliness or promote worldliness? Do the things that I say promote godliness or promote worldliness? See, it all matters... And we can disagree on what we can wear and what we can't wear. we can disagree on what we can watch and what we can't watch, what we can listen to and what we don't listen to. As long as we've taken it to God in prayer and have the peace of God and the, and the guidance of God that it's good for my life. But what happens is, is people sneak into the church and try to tear down the standards that God builds, the principles that God builds, and it pulls people away from godliness. And that's the apostasy that God warns us about that's going to enter into the church before the end times. And it's going to pull people away from godliness. And when it does, uh, it's going to hurt. And we're supposed to refuse it. The word refuse here has the idea of not arguing, not mingling. Excuse yourself from the situation. So when the wives' tales are going on, you don't argue with them, you just leave. Just get out of it. (laughs) Just get away from it. Refuse it. Refuse yourself from it. Uh, and, And move on away from it. Uh, rarely will someone get saved from you arguing with them. Rarely. Uh, now, there's a difference, right, between a conversation and an argument. Uh, but we have some people who get so strong in their, their belief, which is good, but the way that they present it just comes out as yelling and screaming and arguing, and the person that they're talking to is never going to go, you know what, I want that God. <laughs> no. We're supposed to refuse the fiction and cling to the truth. And we're supposed to try to pull people into the truth with love. And that means that we don't accept what they do which is wrong, but we teach them the truth, but we tr- teach it in a way that is not yelling and screaming, but is loving and bring them to the to at least show them what truth is and give them that opportunity to accept. Apostasy is coming. We have to be prepared for it, and we need to remind people, and we need to be constantly in front of us the truth of scriptures to nourish up, to build, and we need to refuse the things that are fiction, refuse the wrong, uh, and get away from those things and hold fast the truth. That transition us transitions us now into how to be a godly person. You know, it's funny when you think through that term or that question, how to be a godly person, and I've grown up in church. I've grown up in ministry. I've been around it my whole life. And so for me, this question doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot as far as that doesn't make me go, oh man, that's a great question. But the reality is when you start thinking about it, okay, how do I be a godly person? I, I would say that if I, if I were to ask for feedback today, I would say I would get some answers like read your Bible, pray, and go to church, love your neighbor, uh, love God, of course, uh, which is the answer <laughs> for how to be a godly person. We already know it. Okay, but, but how do we do it? How do we, how do we get there? Well, look at it says here. Verse number seven, at the end of the verse, it says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So instead of arguing with the wives' fables and the profane fables, uh, exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Now, if you've known me for any amount of time, you know that exercise is not something that I enjoy. Uh, I don't love running. As a matter of fact, I greatly despise running. Um, the older I get, the more I hate it, uh, and I very rarely do it. Uh, but uh, I, I don't like exercise. It's not fun for me. Um, I don't like to sweat. That doesn't. I'm not going. Whoo, got to sweat today. Uh, I don't like that. That's not fun for me. I walk a lot in my in my job. I don't like it. Um, I, have I've got an exercise machine in my house that I use once, uh, every quarter uh, of the year and, and, think, "Nope, that wasn't fun. And, and I just leave it where it is to gather dust. I have a treadmill in my room that is holding some clothes right now. Um, exercise is not something that I love to do, but God says, if you want to be godly, you have to exercise unto godliness, which means it's going to take some work. It's not going to be simple as far as I don't have to do anything. He says there in verse number eight, he says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. And so we see here a contrast and comparison here between personal or or physical exercise and spiritual exercise. And he says that physical exercise is, profits and it does it's profitable but it profited little now think about the day and time in which this is written and Paul being around uh, the Grecians a lot and the Greeks a lot they were big on exercise Uh, you've seen the Greek statues right of the abs and the muscles they were big into exercise they had games and things that they did and bodily exercise was something they were known for and something that Paul was around at least a lot. And he says here that the physical exercise is good, it profits, but it profiteth little compared to spiritual exercise. Do I believe that God desires for us to exercise physically? I think he does because God doesn't like laziness. He talks about that in Proverbs. Uh, God doesn't like that we would treat our bodies. It's something that God created uh, uh, inappropriately in many different ways. But that includes with exercise. So I believe that God likes it when we take care of ourselves. What God has given to us to take care of. But he says here in, in the scale of importance, spiritual exercise far outweighs physical exercise. Now listen. People that are into exercise are into exercise. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because they tell you. Um, they are into it, right? I mean, they spend uh, every day doing multiple hours of whatever it is that they do, and, uh, and, and they, they like it. They enjoy it. They, they like the pain. They like the sweat. They like the, the results, all these sorts of things, right? God says, listen, that's what you should be doing spiritually, You should be sweating spiritually. You should be growing spiritual muscles by exercising godliness, by working towards godliness. It should be a priority. It is something that you should be doing. He says there at the end of verse number six, or seven, excuse me, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, again, what spiritual exercises should we do? We should read our Bible. Why? Because it's God's word and God tells us to. Uh, we should pray. Why? Because God tells us to. We should go to church. Why? Because God tells us to. Now, all three of those things, Bible reading, prayer, and church attendance, all three of those do the same thing for you spiritually. It brings you closer to God. It should. All three of those things. Right? So, So we study to show ourselves approved unto God. We we, we read God's word, we learn it, we understand it, we memorize it, we sing it. We do all those things because it teaches us about God, who God is, what God does, what God is capable of, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future, how he's going to take care of me. The Bible tells me that, so I need to read it. Prayer, what does prayer do? It's a conversation with God, so it obviously brings me closer to God because the more that I'm in conversation with God, the closer I'm going to be to God. Not only is prayer me talking to God, but it's God talking to me. So then I'm learning, I'm gaining from God. God's giving me wisdom and he's giving me guidance and he's providing for the needs that I'm asking for and all of those things. Church, church is a fellowship. It is a, it is a coming together of believers. So when we're in the same room together, we lift each other up. We edify one another. But also, what is church supposed to do? It's supposed to produce forth truth. It teaches to edify the believers. And so we learn and we grow and we draw closer to God as a result of it. That's exercise. What happens if we don't read our Bible? Well, we're not spiritually as strong as we could be. What happens if we don't pray? We're not as spiritually strong as we could be. Or maybe strong is the wrong word, spiritually fit. We're not as spiritually fit as we should be. What happens when we skip church? We're missing out on something that God had for us. And so we're not as spiritually fit as we could be. And then God tells us not only should we exercise uh, unto godliness, He says that physical exercise profiteth little, but godliness profitable in all things. So now understand the terminology here. In verse number seven, it's exercise unto godliness. In verse number eight, it's bodily exercise profiteth little. In verse number eight, godliness is profitable. Does it say uh, exercising godliness is profitable? Now listen, we know it is, but no. He says here the end result, if you will exercise unto godliness, you will therefore, uh, I'll use the word gain godliness, and godliness is profitable. But listen, if you're not exercising, you can't be godly, spiritually speaking. If you're not exercising spiritually, you can't be godly. And if you're not godly, you don't have the profit of godliness. Does God want us to profit? Yes. And he says that godliness profits in all things. Um, It says there that we know, we we understand, right, that we know what it takes to get in shape physically, but do we know what it takes to get in shape spiritually? Uh, Do we understand that? I think we know it, but do we understand it? Okay, how is godliness profitable? Well, first of all, it's profitable on this earth, and it's profitable for eternity. Twofold, twofold things. Physical exercise, bodily exercise is profitable on this earth. Godliness and exercising under godliness is profitable on this earth and for eternity. Therefore it is much more important than the physical exercise. It's not affected by age, it's not affected by social standing, it's not affected by any other area in life. Godliness that is. Right physical exercise and physical health can be affected by opportunity. In many ways. If you're working 70 hours a week, when are you going to exercise? It's a lot harder, right? If you're 90, you can still exercise, but not the same way, and it's not going to have the same result, right? Uh, If you're a man, if you're a woman, there are differences. If you're young or if you're old, there are differences. If you're handicapped, there are differences, right? There's a lot of things that can affect The bodily exercise. But spiritual exercise, it's not affected by any age, social standing, or any other area of life. Uh, Someone said, and I didn't write down who it was, so I apologize, but a a physically handicapped person who is godly is far better off than an Adonis that is corrupt. You can be the most physically fit person in the world, but if you're you're wicked, it's not going to end well for you. You can be the most physically incapable person in the world. And if you're godly, there's profit. Now, I am not saying that we should not exercise physically. I'm not saying we should let ourselves go. I'm not not promoting that in any way. As much as I hate exercise, I do think it's important. But for us to focus on physical exercise and ignore the spiritual exercise that is needed in order to be godly, and therefore to be profitable. Boy, we we miss out on that so much. What about Enoch? Remember Enoch in the Bible? What do we know about Enoch as a person? Was Enoch rich? I don't know. Was Enoch physically fit? I mean, they worked hard. I'm sure he was in somewhat shape. I have no idea. Was Enoch incredibly intelligent? I have no idea. What do we know about Enoch? We know that Enoch was godly. The Bible says he had a testimony that he pleased God. What we read about Enoch is Enoch was, was here and then he wasn't. There was no funeral. There was no physical death. He was here and God took him away. And the the little bit that we read about Enoch, the little bit that we know about Enoch, we don't know how rich he was. He may have been rich. We don't know. He may have been poor. Uh, He may have been incredibly physically fit. He may have been incredibly intelligent or he may have been dumber than a box of rocks. What we know about Enoch was he was God. And do you think that profited Enoch? 100% it did. You see, God cares about your godly living. Anyone who tells you that God doesn't care about how you live is a fool. To understand that God, not only, and listen, we talked about it in James where, uh, you know, works and faith and, and, and the importance of works, works don't get you to heaven, works can't save you, you can't be good enough to get to heaven. But what the Bible teaches us about our works here on this earth is that they are important. They show other people what our faith is about. And if I'm living a life that doesn't show godly works, then I'm not showing anyone else who God is. So does God care about godly living? You bet he does. At the end of the day, that's what God is, is teaching us here in this passage. Listen, refuse the fiction, the profane and old wives' fables, the, the wrong teaching within the church. Refuse it, excuse it, get it out. Exercise rather on godliness. And with that, understand, bodily exercise, it profiteth little, but godliness, it's profitable unto all things, having the promise of life, that now is here on this earth and that which is to come for eternity. It's profitable here and there. And when we uh, ignore the desire of God to have his children living a godly life, to have a godly testimony, to show other people who God is and what God has done in their life through their works and their actions, as well as their tongue. That's a whole other sermon, but... uh, God cares mightily about how we live. And he tells us, exercise unto godliness. What godly exercises have you done this past week? Have you read your Bible? <laughs> Sorry, child, I'm going to throw you under the bus. This morning, my wife said, she said, I need my Bible. And one of my children said, why? And we're uh, going to church. And it was in her, no, what it was, is it was in her suitcase from her trip to Texas. And uh, he said, why did you take your Bible to Texas? You didn't go to church when you were in Texas. Now, I didn't hear what my wife said because I was walking downstairs, but I'm assuming she said something to the effect of, well, we don't just use our Bible when we go to church. I would assume. Am I right? Is it something similar to that? Okay, good. I figured so. Um, and... <laughs> And I just remember thinking as I'm walking down the stairs, I'm just sitting there thinking, that's what I was going to say. It was like, yo, we use our Bible on more than Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, we're supposed to, right? What kind of body or spiritual exercise did you do this week? Did you read your Bible? Did you do it every day? Did you do it in a way that makes sense? I know people who like to read their Bible through in a year. And I think it's good and dandy. I can't do it. I read too slow. So if I read my Bible through in a year, I, I don't really get much out of it. I, I did it once. I can say I did it once, but I didn't get anything out of it because I'm just trying to get through it. Do you read a chapter a day? Do you read a section of verses today? Do you have a devotional book that gives you a couple verses that you read each day? Find something that works that's going to give you spiritual exercise in your life. Read your Bible every day. Do you pray? And I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for this food. Do you pray? Do you go to God? Thank God for who he is. Take your burdens and give them to him. Do you pray for people in your life, your family, lost loved ones, your church? Do you go to church? You're here today, so yes, check that one off. You go to church. What kind of spiritual exercise are you doing? on a daily and weekly basis. God desires for that because he says the result of spiritual exercise, exercising unto godliness, is godliness. And godliness is profitable unto all things. When I think about physical exercise, here's what I think about. If I were to go all in and get in great shape, right, I mean, you know, six-pack abs, bulging biceps, You know, more bulging than that. Uh, Bulging biceps, uh, uh, ripped lats, whatever that is, and uh, and all these things, right? Uh, The big old hamstrings, all these things, all right? I get in great shape. You know what I have to do after I get in great shape? I have to stay in great shape. And I've thought about this. Trust me, I've thought about this. If I put all the work in, maybe a year, and get in this phenomenal shape, then what? Well, if I stop, what happens? it gets worse than it was before. <laughs> right? I mean, it, now you got all this, and it just gets worse. You have to maintain it. You have to keep it up. That's why I don't want to do it. Because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm almost 40, and if I get in great shape at 40, then, then I mean, I've only got another, I don't know how many years left. i got to have to work out all the time for the rest of my life? That doesn't sound fun to me. I don't see the profit in that. Now listen, if I was 18... And not yet married, I can see the profit in it. But I already got the prize. Well I gotta work out for. It. <laughs> she has a different opinion than I do on that, but nonetheless. Okay, so physical exercise, what does it profit? It does profit it. It's health, it's easier to live, easier to breathe. Uh, you know, you don't walk up a stairs and you go, you know, so that's profitable. There's a profit, to physical exercise. But listen, it's a little bit of profit. Spiritual exercise, on the other hand, yes, you have to maintain it. Yes, it doesn't mean that you're going you're gonna to hit a point where you don't have to exercise spiritually anymore. But listen, when we exercise unto godliness, it's profitable both here and for eternity. The profit never ends. Physically, exercise, the profit ends at some point in time. But godliness, it profits in all things. Both here and there. It pays off. But we need to exercise unto godliness. So, how do I be godly? Well, we start off today with exercise. Read your Bible. Pray. Go to church. Love your neighbor. Love God. Exercise. It's a daily thing. Get on the spiritual treadmill or whatever. Sounds fun to you, the spiritual peloton or the spiritual bench press or whatever it is. Get on it every day and get some godliness exercising in your life because it's profitable. It'll be helpful to you in all things, and it's going to help in the end of the day. And then listen, we're talking about in 1 Timothy. We're, we're focusing on a church, and we're looking at our church here, and we're saying, okay, how can we be an effective church? Well, we need people who are godly. And listen, we need people who are ungodly, and what I mean by that is people coming through the door that have yet to been nourished up. We need that too. But for those that are here, that are here all the time, come on, get the nourishment. <laughs> let's let's go. Let's turn it up now. Let's exercise ungodliness. Be what God wants us to be so that we can be an effective church the way that God wants us to be, so we can impact the community around us for the Lord and for eternity. But it's going to take some spiritual exercise, and it's going to take standing on and staying with truth and not allowing the apostasy to seep in or refuse it. That's how we can be an effective church. That's how we can be a godly person. Lord, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to wonder what you want from us, uh, that we know what you want from us. And God, I pray that you would uh, um, work in our lives. Lord, help us to see the importance of the uh, exercising unto godliness. Uh, Lord, that we understand there is great profit in it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us individually to, uh, uh, to exercise unto godliness. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church as well. Uh, Lord, protect our church from the apostasy. Help us to stick to truth, stick with it. Uh, Lord, help us to see and refuse the fiction. Uh, Lord, our desire is to be what you want us to be. So I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.